Coming up this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss, you've got a friend in me. A look at the Cisco Talos Ukraine task unit over a year into the Ukraine-Russian conflict. Next up, Acropolypse Now. Google Pixel and Windows 11 Bug let you uncrop the last four years of screenshots. And finally, our fun game, Gold, Guidance, and Grievances. With that, Breaking Badness is next. Welcome to Breaking Badness, episode number 152, recorded on March 27th, 2023. I'm your co-host, Kelsey, not just a crop in the bucket, LaBelle. With me, co-host Taylor, truncate, more like funk, Wilkes Pierce, and last but not least, Tim, click this? Sure. What the? Helming? Well, hi there. Hey there. Fancy meeting you here. <laughs> I'm joining y'all from uh, the podcast studio. I could hear the air dying in there and absorbing mm. in the white walls, the white padded walls that are dot studio at the domain tools HQ. Absolutely no background noise will be allowed. Unacceptable. Um, me, on the other hand, in case this does come through on the podcast, there's some grinding happening in my proximity. So um, this, this will unofficially be called the daily grind episode um <laughs> if that does make its way through onto the air that's right nobody will mind taylor envious of you camped out in the global nerve center of breaking badness i know there's microphones everywhere uh there's a pelican case there's even a, a green screen that i could get in front oh of. we should tell the people about the pelican case the pelican case contains oh. our breaking badness flyaway kit so uh, we're going to be on the road with the podcast in uh, in various places this year. But the first one coming up after this is uh, at RSA. So look for us there. Tim, I thought we all came together and decided to call it the Pelican Brief. Did that? No, no, no. The <laughs> Pelican Brief was the document that described the requirements for the Pelican case. So oh, you're quite right. right. There right. was a Pelican Brief. Yes. <laughs> And we do have what the one rule for recording folks at RSA this year. Don't be a phony at the Moscone. Oh, <laughs> oh I like it. <laughs> Did you prepare that, Taylor, or did that just come to you in the moment? It just came to me. Like wow. a bolt from the blue. You're just a vessel for greatness. It just comes through you, Taylor. Every once in a while. Isn't that what a lot of the creative types say? They say, I just sit here and channel it. It comes from I don't know where. Yeah, after they've spent like 40,000 hours learning whatever instrument they're noodling on. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Taylor. The The rule is you just wait here and let let the nature move through you. You don't actually earn anything. Stop that. Stop spreading that nonsense. <laughs> well, we've got, we've got two articles to discuss today and then gold guidance and grievances. Um, so the first one is, um, you've got a friend in me and it's hard to just say that. I know you already saw me break and sing it once. I'll, I'll try to just make it once, but I was actually recently, this is reminding me, I don't, I don't know how this came up, but somehow I ended up on a Disney wiki site 
that detailed all of Woody's relationship. <laughs> what was that, Tim? I just said, as one does. As one does. One frequently finds oneself on a Disney wiki. <sighs> yeah, Disney wiki. I, I'm not even, I don't, I don't, I, again, I can't recall if this actually occurred, but I was talking to my wife about um, what the nature of Jesse and Woody's relationship was on uh, on Toy Story. And it was very funny to read the wiki of like, it listed all of Woody's friends and all of his romantic entanglements. And some of the descriptions I was reading out loud were just so ridiculous. Um, it was very entertaining. I highly recommend checking it out. <laughs> <laughs> Taking it in a totally different tangent, by the way, but related to Toy Story, did you all know that Tom Hanks's brother is a voice stand-in for him? <gasps> Like in the video games, that's mostly his brother, not Tom. Wow. Wow. wow, wow. What's Tom's brother's name? Tom could just clear all this up if he just came on the podcast and talked to us about it. Well, maybe his brother just came. How would we know it wasn't Jim? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We would never know. We actually thought Tom was our supporter, but it was Jim all along. Yeah, Jim, has he has worked it up. He can really, uh, he can sound just like his brother. So, Think about the prank calling possibilities. There's also a snake in their boot. And they learned that from Jim. Isn't that one of the classic Woody lines? There's a snake in my boot. (laughs) (laughs) Taylor, your confidence. Yeah. Adds up. Classic. Works out. Classic. Classic Classic Woody. Oh, gosh. Um, Anyway. (laughs) So in the new Threatwise TV documentary, we see that Cisco Talos has uh, been, you know, what they've been doing to support Ukraine during the Ukrainian-Russian conflict that's been happening. I think we're just past the one-year mark. So, Tim, can you talk about Threatwise TV um, for any folks that are not aware of this this documentary, which is myself included? I'll, I'll raise my hand and, and say, "What is this, Tim?" Well, yeah, for for one thing, you can't get ThreatWise TV on your local cable system or on your satellite dish or on your TV antenna. Uh, So you'll have to go onto the information superhighway to find this. But it's basically, I guess you would call it a a vlog, a video blog of sorts um, by the uh, Talos team there at Cisco. And they do, they've done a number of episodes. It looks like they've probably done about 10 episodes so far. And they cover various different topics. So they'll talk about what's going on out in the threat landscape. They will talk about uh, best practices and so forth, sometimes have uh, interviews with various folks. And so um, it uh, it's a great way to give folks, you know, video has become a really major way that people learn these days. So, um, so, you know, certainly it can give you some, uh, some good thoughts on how to, um, how to do some best practices and it's Cisco. So they, they, I mean, they're doing product demos and so forth as well. So it's not all just kind of vendor neutral security stuff, but, uh, but some of it is. So yeah, it's, it's a vlog more or less. Be sure to add it to your stories, you know. That's right. <laughs> Tim, you might have been the some, the person that said that recently. Um, as you tend to say very funny and novel things just in your day-to-day existence. 
but just just to say i'm just gonna go listen to my stories is just such a funny a funny little <laughs> phrase i love it so much was that you tim can you go confirm? listen to my stories in what context I, all i remember is the story it clearly wasn't a video i would have learned better um, right. <laughs> so i don't know only. that <laughs> might not have been me I, oh. i'm not sure I'm gonna give but you I credit. do. I mean, I do go listen to my stories sometimes. If you count podcasts as my That's stories, true. making our yeah. way back to radio. So, Tim, going back to the the origin of this discussion for the week, um, can you tell us a little bit more about the history between Ukraine and Cisco Talos? Yeah, and that's really a story of the larger history between Ukraine and Cisco. And, you know, we've all heard the old saw about nobody gets fired for buying Cisco. And it's really true that they have an enormous footprint all around the world. Um, When people think about Internet infrastructure like routers, they think about Cisco, probably much to the chagrin of Juniper and other companies and F5 and so forth that are, you know, major contributors in that world as well. But um, but they already had a really big footprint in Ukraine um, in terms of customers, in terms of a lot of Cisco employees, and, and of course, that infrastructure itself, which plays a role in the sense that um, some installations of certain Cisco devices and so forth represent a sensor network that will tell them, uh, give them some early warning about some of the Things that are going on there. And if you go back to the Indestroyer uh, power grid attack back in 2015, that's uh, it's as far back as then uh, that some fairly significant threat hunting and uh, as well as some remediation work and so forth were going on um, with uh, between Cisco and their customers slash partners in Ukraine. So they were already well established there. As you know, things started to heat up um, as as Russia started to mass troops near the border, and and the uh, specter of the invasion became very clear, uh, and that it, that it was going to happen, and not just a theoretical possibility. Interesting. So, Tim, just to double click on this, Cisco Talos wanted to help once the invasion began. To fast forwarding here a little bit, which led to an internal Ukraine task unit which can respond to future global events with cyber implications. Is this the first task unit of, of its kind? Well, within Talos, as far as I know, um, it is. I think one of the um, interpretations of what a task unit like this might do and might be uh, more broadly is the kind of government slash private sector partnerships that um, we're starting to really see a lot of emphasis on, which is one of the great developments, I think, in InfoSec, especially in the last couple of years. It seems like this has ramped up quite a bit. So we know that various uh, cybersecurity firms have been working on a geopolitical basis, working with governments um, in different hotspots around the world, as well as just generally fighting ransomware and uh, industrial control security threats and so forth. So uh, this is the first one that uh, Talos has spun up, to my knowledge. But um, we've seen some of these kinds of uh, of cooperation in various other places. Not to to steal anyone's thunder later, if this was a gold 
nugget for gold guidance and grievances, but um, it's it's always really wonderful to hear these stories of organizations and, and other folks, frankly, coming together in community to support the you know the greater good cause of keeping people safe and the internet safer. So, um, yeah, there's a there's a lot in for here sure. That- I mean, we focus on the the bad actors so much of the time, but the amount of cooperation and support. And, uh, you know, even among, uh, in some cases, companies that might be uh, competitive with each other, but that recognize there's a greater need here and a a greater good that can be accomplished through cooperation. So, yeah, it's it's one of the real bright spots in this this discipline of ours. Can we come together as an industry and we've, we've got bad actors over here. Can all the defenders and the people doing good, can we call them Oscars, Emmys, you know, award-winning? Is there an opportunity for that? Tonys. The Tonys. Oh, the Tonys. Mm. That's the number one. That's the creme de la creme. It's got to be the dial Tonys, right? (gasps) Oh, freaking. I like it. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Okay. That's the only acceptable name for a annual freaking award. (laughs) Uh, well okay so tim what does this task force do on a day-to-day basis what would you say it is that you actually do here (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um yeah it's i guess if you had to really distill it down it's a threat hunting um team but they uh they are you know looking at the Landscape. They're, they're keeping a particularly close eye, clearly, on the Russian operations that are affecting um, all aspects of cyber, whether it's enterprise, whether it's ICS, OT, um, whether it's even disinformation and so forth. So those larger campaigns. Um, but yeah, they are. Uh, they're working with their partners there just to, and and they've got, like I mentioned, they've got. You know, Cisco devices are are because they're so ubiquitous and because they sit there on the um, doing this routing and and uh, security rules on traffic at a really huge scale. Um, they're monitoring and hunting on all kinds of different um, uh, threats. You know, we've seen uh, not just the ICS threats, but we've seen these wipers, like really major wiper attacks um, and attempts, which have not all been successful, thanks to folks like Talos and others, um, different kinds of malware that are particularly focusing on uh, Ukraine, Ukrainian government and those who support them. So the task unit has had their hands full, and certainly they're not the only ones. There's lots of um, of focus on this from uh, a lot of the big players in cybersecurity and even some of the slightly smaller players. You know, we're, we're doing our own part with the uh, Domain Blooms work that we do on the Ukraine, uh, the Ukraine domains. That was uh, significant about a year ago. And but this task unit is uh, is much larger than that and encompasses a lot of people who are in country in Ukraine, as well as folks who are back here, you know, and at Cisco headquarters. So, uh, but if I had to boil it all down, I would say it's largely a threat hunting operation. Yeah. And Tim, just to, to double down on that, I know that, um, 
Cisco Talos shared on their website that they actually use skills outside of traditional threat hunting. And can you elaborate on what they mean by that? Well, the battlefield, so to speak, is more than just the computer systems themselves. And so this is this is where some of uh, OSINT type hunting and trying to understand actors and intent as well as um, disinformation and misinformation. So those start to become some of the important skills here as well. You know, determining the intent of malicious actors as well as their TTPs, et cetera. Whenever you're starting to look at the bigger picture associated with any kind of campaigns, uh, it becomes more than just the technical side of that. And so that's where there, there was a quote in there uh, having to do with the fact that this is really drawing on a lot of different skill sets. Um, but a lot of that is, uh, as far as I can tell, you know, and they don't go into total detail, probably for OPSEC reasons, but um, OSINT analysis is certainly going to be part of it. And then an understanding uh, at a deeper level than the average bear understands it, um, the workings of the disinfo campaigns. Very interesting. This, I mean, this article is well worth a read and per usual it's in our show notes. So, and a graphic uh, novel. I mean, how great is yeah. that? That's kind of fun. Pretty pictures always makes things uh, better for sure. Yeah. Really cool. Um, yeah. And I guess, Tim, what are your, just your, your thoughts or takeaways on other organizations that might want to start a task unit like this, either specific to the Ukraine, Russian conflict other global events. Um, what, what do you think that, what in your ideal world, what does that look like? Well, you know, part of what we talked about here was the head start that Cisco had on this because of their presence in Ukraine and relationships that they had developed there. And I think those relationships are really one of the key points here because um, simply having some expertise or some technology that can be helpful in combating different kinds of malware, in understanding threat actors, and um, looking at the security landscape as a whole across the, you know, up and down the stack and so forth, uh, that's the technology side of things. The relationships are really important. So any uh, organization that's interested in doing this kind of thing, I think one of the things they have to look at in order to assess how effective they're going to be and what it will entail to start up a function like that is looking at the level of relationship connections that they have in either in whatever place it is that they're concerned about, if it's a if it's locale oriented, kind of like this one is, or in if it's broader then uh, it's, you know, if it's looking at the global threat landscape, but it's a task unit that's focused on, I don't know, something related to the geopolitical side of things, then those relationships are a really important part of it. Information sharing and so forth is critical to the success of these kinds of things. So um, I would say that's, that's kind of the most important thing. If you've got your technology all sorted out and it can offer something, um, pretty important for hotspots, or if you have individuals who have expertise in those areas, those are really important, but they're probably not enough to have the kind of 
um, effectiveness that maybe something like this one did. You know, and again, it's it's part of their spread. Like there's only so many companies that are going to be able to do something of this nature. Um, but the big ones, the Cisco's, the Microsoft's, uh, the Apple's of the world, you'll, you'll see um, the opportunity to do things more like this. Very cool. Well, Tim, thank you for surfacing and sharing with us in the audience about, about this topic. And this is where we mosey on into our, our hoodie rating, which is typically from zero to 10 and really just trying to get a sense or provide a sense to our listeners of how concerned or um, potentially, and we'll talk about this in a second, um, how good something is, um, <laughs> which is strange to say outside, the goodness. Uh, so the the higher the hoodie rating, zero to 10, the more concerned you should be. And then the shadow hoodie, the goodie, is you can imagine warm chocolate chip cookies and just goodness. And so, um, yeah, Tim, why don't we start with you? We'll, we'll mix things up. What would your hoodie and or goodie rating be? Oh, it's definitely a goodie rating in this case. Um, you know, I know a couple of the folks at Talos and they're really good people. And um, so it's great to see what they're doing here. And uh, how big is the global impact of this or how much will it affect any individual practitioner who's not directly involved in this? Probably not a ton. But if you're in Ukraine, this is absolutely huge. And a lot of us you know, around the world, obviously, are huge supporters of Ukraine and any efforts to help them. So from that perspective, it's like, I don't know, nine or 10 goodies. Um, so if you balance that against, well, what does it mean for me as an individual? Well, anything, you know, we know that um, some of the antagonists in this story, the Russian crime groups and hacking groups and so forth, uh, are not only focused on Ukraine. So the wins that these folks are scoring against them do have ripple effects beyond just what uh, uh, what's going on in Ukraine itself. So I don't know. I'll say eight goodies overall. Nice. Sorry. What do you think, Taylor? Yeah, I'm right there. You know, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, all, all the goodies uh, over to the Talos team and, and the folks that are working on this effort. This you know, is, really, uh, we should yeah. find out what a delicious, sweet Ukrainian cookie or baked good is. And those are the kind of goodies that this really ought to be. But for now, we'll just say chocolate chip goodies. Love it. And Taylor, is your official number there 10? Ooh. Yeah, why not? Look, all, all the hoodies. Yeah. When we're like, hey, it's got to be official. That does make me want to like think about it for a second and then immediately say yes, 10. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we go Google what a delicious Ukrainian cookie is that we can mention here when we come back. Um, and we'll be back in just a moment with more Breaking Badness and for our second article of the week. Stay tuned. Hey, Breaking Badness listener, Tim here from the crew saying thanks for being with us. We hope you enjoy listening to the show as much as we enjoy making it. And if you do enjoy it, well, we hope you might consider doing us a 10 chocolate chip goodie favor and leave a rating and a review of Breaking Badness on your favorite podcast platform. Maybe even more importantly, tell a friend or two about the show. We would be much obliged. And now, on with the episode. All right, let's see. Delicious Ukrainian 
cookie. So. Well, I don't know if it's a cookie as such, but I do see that in, uh, according to Tasting Table, among the 16 Ukrainian desserts everyone needs to try once, well, they don't say more than once. <laughs> That's what they really, or say at least once. Like, yeah, try this once and then you're done. Um, not so great. But number one, I, I have no idea whether I'm pronouncing this close to correctly. And that would be true on almost all of these. But uh, Sirniki. Mm, what's in Sirniki, Tim? Yeah, so Sirniki is a, uh, a fried treat uh, made with a soft white cheese similar to cottage cheese or quark. Is quark, a th- I mean, I guess we're eating quarks all the time because the universe is made of them, but I didn't know that was a specifically called out ingredient. Anyway, I guess there's a cheese-ish thing called quark. They look like little pancakes, kind of. And, uh, you know, you got eggs, flour, sour cream, butter, sugar, all of that. So... Um, and then you get some toppings on those, jam or mm. honey or fruit, something like that. It's, uh, that's what goes on your Sirniki. So that's what they put down as number one. So, you know, I could certainly get behind sending them eight uh, delicious Sirniki as the goodies in this story. Yum. Yum, 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 yum. Um, they, they're not dislike or they... And I feel like every culture has something similar to this. I'm I'm personally Polish, and so when I see these, I see pierogi, and they look like yeah, delicious look pierogi. Like yeah, it's kind of like every culture has a burrito. <laughs> that is correct. <laughs> oh, I mean, man. whenever I get mushu pancakes at uh, a Chinese place, I always think, well, these are these are just kind of burritos. Burrito is a way of life. It's an attitude. It's not just a delicious food or way to deliver or a food delivery system, really. Fresh rolls are burritos. I always leave this podcast recording so hungry. It's insane. I know. It's right before, it's right before lunch, uh, <laughs> West Coast time. So that's probably part of it. Um, currently, for me, it's dentist o'clock, a.k.a. 2.30. So um, I don't have quite as good of an excuse. Oh golly! All right, well let's let's take it to our second article, which is a crop a now, uh, which is so punny but so difficult for me to say for some reason. So I was going to say you're doing really well with that. Like yeah, I think I'd need about twenty five attempts to I'm get so that in one, my head about to it. get it in in one take. I'm like say apocalypse, but with an acra acropolis, and then I I have it in my head, but then when I go to say it out loud, I just I I just want cookies. Acropolypse. Acropolypse. It's like a crop of lips, but you're just (laughs) saying it faster. Yeah. That is a really helpful device. Okay, Acropolypse. Wow. Yeah, that's beautiful, Tim. Well done. Um, (laughs) Horrifying though that mental image may be. Mm -hmm. That would be a really good absurdist painting. Like a a field of lips. Yeah. Like the big Rolling Stones lips, right? Mm, Yeah, of course. Naturally. So in ongoing news, uh, the internet, I guess, is forever and not in a good way, not like diamonds. So a Google Pixel bug reveals that if screenshot info has been deleted, it can be recovered. But wait, tis not all. The Windows 11 snipping tool is likewise affected. So Taylor, how exactly was this discovery made on both the Google Pixel tool and Windows 11 snipping tool? 
Yeah, so this is an interesting one because it was found uh, for the Google Markup. So it's Google Markup is the the tool that ships uh, by default on Pixel for uh, editing images if you've taken a screenshot. And so reverse engineers Simon Aarons and David Buchanan uh, discovered the issue for the markup uh, for the Google Pixel, noting that it had been there since about 2018. Uh, and then, you know, uh, Google has since patched that. Um, they also discovered that this uh, similar behavior occurred in the Windows 11 snipping tool. And so, you know, what's kind of happening here, and I can speak to the, the Google side of it first, uh, is that when the uh, screenshot is created, that file is created, uh, uh, when, like, let's say you take a, a, a shot of your screen and you want to, like, trim off how low your battery is, right? So you make that image smaller. Uh, the underlying file process uh, to write it to disk should truncate the file. Uh, and in the past, it did truncate the file, meaning trim it down uh, to make it the, the smaller file size. Uh, at some point, the underlying kind of API that they use to talk to that uh, file system uh, you know, stopped truncating by default. And so when they did not explicitly truncate the image uh, at the file system level, it just left the full size there. And so you, you know, that kind of left the that extra bits of information that might have been covered up, removed, what have you, uh, still available for um, someone to grab and deobfuscate. In a uh, theoretical way, this is kind of like how if you're cropping images in PowerPoint and then later on you go back to uh, and you can hit the crop again, you can pull it back out and get more of it. It's, you know, it was always there. <laughs> I mean, I know that technically this isn't the same as that, but it kind of reminds me of that. Yeah, or like file container formats um, that will have a bunch of old stuff in there or stuff, you know, um, for like PDF, that'll happen. <laughs> um, and, and stuff can be left in there inadvertently. This is, yeah, you're right. On the image, image side, it's a little different. Uh, but ultimately, the impact is, is pretty similar in that, hey, um, you know, anywhere that these images were uploaded, uncompressed and left, you know, kind of as is, that file exists and can be deobfuscated. So, uh, you know, a big like Discord being a major target for this, uh, like, you know, essentially Discord did not compress the files. So like if you throw a file up on, you know, a file sharing service, sorry, a social media service, generally they're going to strip EXIF and they're probably going to compress that file to save their own disk space because they got to serve that image up to a bunch of people. Uh, you know, for whatever reason, Discord did not do any of that. Maybe the like the way stuff gets saved on device, they don't care about it. I don't know. Um, but you know, you know, ultimately there's a ton of images out there that have likely been uploaded uh, and then downloaded to other users' devices if they're saved in a thread or something um, that are now kind of forever uh, going to be, you know, potentially vulnerable to deobfuscation of a sort. And speaking of deobfuscation, I know this news really is talking about the cropping tools, but mm -hmm. let's say I go and I try to block out some information rather than crop it. Is mm -hmm. that something that a threat actor, a bad actor could still recover on their end? Yeah, absolutely. So there's, they actually had a, uh, there's a working POC for this at the acroplips.app 
uh, domain. So you can go there um, and, and, you know, if you had a pixel uh, that wasn't patched, you still have a pixel that's not patched, you can upload a file and it'll tell you exactly, it'll, it can remove stuff and, you know, show you what was there before. Interesting. And would this scenario come to fruition potentially? I have a Google Pixel phone and took a screenshot. Mm-hmm. I cropped it and sent it to someone. Could mm-hmm. that recipient then use Acropolis.app to see the full image? Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. What but, you could know, go maybe wrong? not with a hundred percent, right? Because obviously there's a lot of, you know, but yes, that is the exact. So you take a screenshot, you open that screenshot, you edit that screenshot, and then you save that screenshot all in the same motion, meaning that same file name is preserved. Uh, then yes, that screenshot is, you know, vulnerable or that image is vulnerable to someone, you know, pulling back the stuff that you didn't want them to see. Hmm. And I imagine this has some uh, implications. Um, extortion comes to mind. <laughs> but what, yeah, what do you imagine the security ramifications of this look like? Yeah, it is interesting because these things got patched pretty quickly. So like Windows has released an out-of-band patch for snipping tool, which they are, of course, very loath to do. Um, you know, so the, like for the most part going forward, this stuff looks like it should be uh, fixed. Uh, folks tested out some Windows uh, snipping tools and the Apple markup tool, and those were not vulnerable to this particular. So they didn't make this type of mistake, meaning, you know, um, writing without truncating. Um, so that at least they know is not it's not vulnerable to that same thing in those in those tools. Um, but yeah, you know, I think someone went on virus total and found like 4,000 images on virus total that were, that could potentially be, uh, kind of rolled back, um, in this fashion. And, you know, that's kind of like one of the, not even a place you'd go to put these things or even look for these things. You know, really it's on your personal messages that you might've sent, or again, like discord being a huge, um, vector for this where they didn't compress the images or do anything to them. Um, you know, that's one where, yeah, if you uploaded an image there and someone's got it stored, then they'll be able to, you know, potentially remove what you have blocked out. Interesting. And is to this, at this point, have we heard anything about other products like Apple products in particular with similar issues or What's the probability that that we're going to see something like this show up in Apple products? <laughs> Stares at iPhone nervously. <laughs> um, you know, for the, again, for this particular bug, pretty slim, right? Um, but it's interesting, like the way the way that the Windows snipping tool, you know, gets got is they uh, like when you kind of open up a file to, to save it, which the snipping tool will do, it kind of opens that up in a, a bit of a containerized process, isolating that from the rest of the system. And then when it goes to write the file, it does so without truncation for whatever reason. And again, it's like it's very difficult to tell from the outside looking in on some of the closed source stuff, like what exactly the issue is here. Uh, I think for the Android, they you can see kind of what's going on there a little more so. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, is this, uh, going to hit a third, a third manufacturer or, uh, OS, uh, who, who knows, I guess what's the, the Ian Fleming quote, the, uh, what is it? 
once is an accident, twice is a coincidence, and three times is enemy action. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. It's just like, how did everybody get really bad at this all of a sudden all together at the same time? Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. And Taylor, you already you already answered this to some extent here, but if there's anything else that you'd like to add, I mean, what what's really being done to mitigate these risks from the vendor perspective? So Microsoft and Google in this case. Yeah, so Microsoft, Google have patched these particular uh, issues with these tools. Uh, if you just as a, a third party independent want to kind of check. Uh, uh, an image file or PNG. There is the PNG check tool uh, that is open source, um, but that you can find on libpng.org. So if you want to test your PNGs um, to make sure that everything is uh, as it should be, (laughs) uh, that all the P's and the G's are in the proper places, then uh, you can use the PNG check tool to check your snipping tool of choice and see how well it fares for this type of thing. Interesting. That's a great call out, Taylor. And I think that really answered my last question, which is as a user, what action should I should I take knowing what I know now? Um, and it sounds like that app is really the place to go. Am I am I hearing that right? Is there anything else you would do in addition I, to that? You know, even that app is probably, you know, overkill. Like it's re- if you really want to test it yourself. Right. Um, if you which I'm sure actually some of our listeners will want to do that. So <laughs> so you could do so there. But obviously patching uh, to the latest versions of uh, markup in the snipping tool, um, you know, doing that as quickly as possible. But, you know, for a lot of images, the cat is out of the bag, you know. It's so interesting how many idioms are cat related in our society. Cats out of the bag. Um, Schrodinger's cat. Cat got I'm sure. your tongue. Cat got your tongue. Yeah. They they play a big role here. Meow mix, meow mix, <laughs> please deliver. Yep. <laughs> that is at the center of all culture right there, <laughs> that tune, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> well, if the internet had just been left all about cat content, which is what it was originally designed for by DARPA, uh, <laughs> we wouldn't be in the big mess that we're in these days. Have y'all gone to Cat GPT? Stop I it. I saw a reference to that today, uh, but I haven't checked it out yet. The French had the that all along. That's true. It's always been Cat GPT for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So Tim, but GPT gonna... GPT also has a really punny. Oh, does kind of meaning when you pronounce those letters in the French GPT. way. So. <laughs> that's right. So yep. if you don't know what that's referring to, go uh, go do a little research online. We're not going to spell it out for you. <laughs> Quite literally. Um, fun stuff. Um, that's one of my, uh, the one French phrase that stuck for my wife from her French course um, in high school, which is very entertaining. Did not translate well. It was not something she used ever when we did, in fact, go to France, you know. But anyway, um, all right. So actually, Tim, you went first last time. Taylor, what would your hoodie rating or goodie rating be? <laughs> but assume it's hoodie rating in this case. Yeah, yeah. Probably yeah. not a goodie rating. <laughs> no, not a goodie rating. I, you know, this one, it, it's, uh, you know, the whole thing is concerning. 
A, like, how do we get here? Um, you know, Microsoft and Google aren't like they didn't start designing software yesterday. Um, so, you know, what's going on that we're not like, uh, you know, looking at how our stuff interacts with the file system to this level. Uh, and then, as I mentioned, the cat's out of the bag where a lot of these images are out there and you can't kind of undo them, right? So you're, you don't know what the uh, surface area for this is. And, and that's... Yeah, you can uh, patch the problem, but you can't right? patch the, <laughs> the images that are right there. Th those are out there. So for me, uh, you know, it is, again, uh, who, who's out there clipping and snipping and <laughs> snipping and clipping and, and then repasting or re-uploading. I don't know. Um, but I've given up like a five and a half, five, you know, five hoodies uh, and then a half a hoodie. And then um, I'll go full sleeve. So like 5.675 hoodies. Excellent. It's been a while since we've gone to the hundredth decimal place. So yeah. that's what I'd like to Gotta see. Get to our millet hoodies. <laughs> oh, golly. Or should I say past the hundredth? Um, all right. So, Tim, what about you? Well, continuing my tradition of not finding the mute button fast enough, uh, but also continuing my tradition of uh, going generally with whole number hoodie ratings, I'm putting this right down the middle at a five. Um, I think that for some people, this is going to be a total nightmare, unfortunately, um, because photos don't only get cropped just to make them fit in the right shape or to make a pleasing framing of the subject. Uh, they also get cropped for privacy and security reasons. And so that's, that's going to be a huge problem for some individuals. Um, is it going to affect everybody? No, it's not a universal thing. Uh, at least as far as we know, um, in terms of under some of the underlying issues, as Taylor mentioned, the interactions of uh, things like these photo apps or image handling apps and the underlying file system itself, that seems to be kind of in the same category of a lot of vulnerabilities that we've seen over the years. Um, but yeah, put me down for five. Five it is. You two are, are in tune today. Operating on the same wavelength and enter well, one more idiom. <laughs> yeah, we're in sync. Bye bye we're, bye. We're the we're the boy band. <laughs> just a yes, crop you of lips. are. <laughs> All saying the same thing. You're a crop of lips, you two. <laughs> <laughs> a crop of lips in the wind, <laughs> swaying about. <laughs> oh gosh! All right. Well, thank you, Taylor. Again also for, for bringing this to our listeners' attention. We're going to take a final break here before our new ER game, which is Gold Guidance and Grievances. So we'll be right back um, as everybody checks out that app and we'll go from there. All right. Welcome back. Now that everyone's uh, blood pressure has decreased to their normal limits, hopefully, um, <laughs> let's play our game, uh, Gold Guidance and Grievances. And so we always, you know, we typically play two Drews and a Lie, but like to to shake it up every once in a while. We, we're doing two in a row here for Gold Guidance and Grievances. 
and um, just just like to talk about the 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 gold we're seeing across the infosec, or just generally what our lives touch. Guidance, any things that um, would be helpful for our hosts here to share with you, the listener, and grievances, um, which are those general frustrations. So, uh, Tim, why, why don't you start there? What are your gold guidance and grievances for the week? Yeah, I, I, you know, it's sometimes hard for me to pick individual things because there can be some runners up and so forth. And sometimes some of what I want to see as some of what I want to mention as gold is just funny little memes and so forth, but I'll try to keep it to something a little bit deeper. So some folks may have seen the story that MITRE uh, has another framework out. In this case, it's a, uh, it's a prototype for a way of looking at supply chain risk. And so uh, they, it calls it its system of trust or SOT framework. Um, and within that, there's this uh, risk model manager uh, platform. So it's, it's in some ways, it's similar to the questionnaires that a lot of our practitioner friends are probably accustomed to going through when they are thinking about onboarding a vendor and they'll do a, a security questionnaire with them to help evaluate the risks that might be um, tied to it. Um, but this carries the imprimatur of MITRE, which has done a great job with, you know, the attack uh, framework has become such an important part of how we look at things uh, in this field. And, uh, you know, there are a couple different flavors of the attack framework now as well. There's the mobile one and the uh, ICS one as well. Um, they've got the newer, the defend model, um, which is kind of the, the mirror image in some ways of the attack framework that they have. Um, but so the this uh, system of trust um, basically takes all of these different risk items and they apply some quantitative uh, measurements that uh, are then fed into a scoring algorithm. And so you have these, you have kind of a heat map, you have scores that give you um, you know, areas of strength and weakness uh, for, for a particular supplier uh, against these different risk categories that they have and so forth. So I think the, and, and of course, this will be open source uh, by MITRE once it uh, is fully baked and outside of the, the prototype phase. But anyway, I like it. I like what MITRE is doing more generally. And ever since Solar Winds really woke us up to this, uh, the risk from, the supply chain. A lot of folks, uh, you know, inside InfoSec, obviously, were aware that that was a risk area all along. But um, bringing MITRE's capabilities to bear in this area, I think, will be very useful. Um, uh, if nothing else, to compare against the existing system of questionnaires and so forth that you might do right now for onboarding vendors, it's uh, it's definitely worth a, worth a look. So I will. Count that as my gold for the week. Excellent, Tim. Per usual. All right, Taylor, try to one up that, huh? <laughs> oh, man. I was like, oh, my gold for the week is I found this really great cover of the sign by Asa Base, but it's by, uh, uh, it's by, um, shoot, it's by the Mountain Goats. <laughs> um, Tim's like, why? 
Miter did this really cool thing. I uh, uh, actually have. Oh, that's so one? funny, actually, because one of my candidates for gold was simply a uh, post that I saw on Mastodon, which is some um, um, uh, a couple of clips of Jimi Hendrix playing acoustic, which you aren't going to see so, very often. So that's um, great. So yeah, that's why I was thinking it's hard to come up with like the the style of gold that we're going to use yeah. for this. But anyway, go continue. Go find that Jimi Hendrix post. Go look up the Mountain Goats and listen to that cover of Ace of Base, The Sign. It's delightful. But uh, also, Gold, how about the executive order from the White House uh, barring folks from working with spyware companies that just dropped today? Yeah, I'll say I that saw that. Gold. How about that? Let's go. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good one, in fact. Yep. I thought about that, but I hadn't had time to read the article and dig in uh, and formulate enough of an opinion about it. So, uh, but that's, that's that sounds like a really good, good one. Yeah. Yep. Pretty, pretty good. <laughs> Excellent. Well, anything else, Taylor, on your end, or does that that sum from up a grievance perspective? G? Yeah, you got to get your grievance. I get grievances. I got to air my grievances. Uh, well, are we going to go in order here? or uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter. Gold guidance and grievances. Let's, let's do the grievances next because then we end on a happy note with the guidance. <laughs> my guidance is go find that cover and listen to it. <laughs> uh, my, grievance, my grievance is uh, that Microsoft, you know, they were like, hey, we're going to you know, publish a CVE for this clipping bug thing. And they gave it like a super low score and they said, hey, you know, it just barely touches. There is some loss of confidentiality and access to some restricted information is uh, is obtained. It's like, I don't know, guys, like (laughs) uh, it seems like it could be uh, a big problem uh, for some folks. Um, and that maybe you should um, consider that like more of a medium level of loss of confidentiality. They should listen to our <laughs> podcast and listen to the hoodie ratings. Yeah, I mean it's true. You don't get a whole. You don't completely control what you can get out of it. But boy, howdy! Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there that could be vulnerable to it. And just saying that, like, yeah, this is you know barely moves the needle for us, but we're going to release not a band patch for it. Doesn't square up for me. We'll know when we've made it when we usurp the CVE rating system, the hoodie rating system. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I originally had the idea uh, ages ago that we should, and it's too late for this year probably, I don't think there's going to be enough time, but to write up an April Fool's RFC uh, trying to make the hoodie rating official. Oh my gosh. (laughs) You're totally right. Oh, it's a total shame that April Fool's occurs on a Sunday. It's got to be a working day, really, to to be a good time. I think, personally, in my humble opinion. Uh, it's isn't it Saturday this year? Oh, that was your April Fool's. Gotcha. Uh... <laughs> You're probably right. It probably is a Saturday. It's not a working day. That's all I care about. You're right. No, it is a Sunday. It's a Sunday. No, it's a Saturday. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where that um, that false confidence came from for a quick second there, but well, every seven years or so, it is a Sunday. <laughs> so your point still stands. I'll be right eventually. <laughs> <laughs> oh golly, golly gee! Well, Tim, what are your what is your guidance? What is your grievance? Yeah. So uh, 
Well, guidance is, uh, no, I'm going to do the grievance first so that we end on a slightly happier note, although it's not that much happier. My grievance is against those uh, Chinese ships that are signal jamming commercial flights. Did you, do you all see that article about that? They are uh, at least actors claiming to be from Chinese Navy vessels, and they probably are, have been communicating with commercial flights on their VHF frequencies, but also maybe more troublingly, they are jamming uh, GPS and radar altimeter uh, signals. And so this has not, it's not considered, I saw some commentary by Qantas, which flies in that area uh, quite a bit, um, saying they don't believe it's a safety of flight issue. But, you know, they probably can't really say that too much without, first of all, scaring people. And secondly, you know, maybe becomes more of a diplomatic issue and nightmare at that point, if they were to say so, I don't know, but it seems pretty bad to me. So there's my grievance and it's not internet specific, but it is technology, geopolitical, and it's, it makes me mad. Uh, my guidance is it's the time of year to really keep your eyes out there related to tax, uh, tax related fraud and schemes. So, and there's one example of an Emotet uh, campaign going around where they are using fake W-9 tax forms and they're impersonating the IRS and trying to um, get you to get you infected with Emotet. So stay frosty on the IRS scams out there this time of year. That's my guidance. Wow. Well worth the wait there, Tim. Um, and a great call out on the IRS tax shenanigans. Now I've had my eyes on the um, the domains, IRS-related domains, and the, there are a bunch of them that are fairly recent that are definitely not <laughs> of the IRS's own making. So, yeah, it's it's going around. Sounds taxing. Awesome. Well, thanks y'all for sticking with us. We'll be back next week for another episode. Big thanks to Tim. Big say, big thanks to Tete. And we'll be back for episode Big thanks to you. Oh, mm-hmm. big thanks all around. <laughs> thanks. And thanks to hanks. the listeners. To the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Bye-bye. Bye y'all. Bye. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles and IOCs mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at domaintools.com slash resources slash podcasts. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. We'll see you next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.